be spending this morning a little bit more time in John's gospel, this great um, discourse between Jesus and the crowd in John chapter 6 on Jesus as the bread of life. And so if you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible on your phone, wherever it is, um, I suggest you pull it out and open it up. I would love for you to follow along with me um, because our passage this morning I found actually was a little confusing at first, and it wasn't until I really started to dig into it that I saw um, what Jesus was doing, and then I thought it was pretty neat. And so um, my hope is that we can draw that out a little bit this morning. So we're in John chapter 6. I will be focusing on verses 41 to 51, um, but let me give you um, some background. You might recall from last week that Jesus is interacting with this crowd of followers Um, that have followed him to the other side of Lake Galilee. Prior to this interaction, he has just fed 5,000 people, or 5,000 men is what Scripture says. No telling how many women and children were among them. Fed them all with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the people saw this sign, and they saw Jesus, and they said, this must be the long-awaited prophet like Moses, and they try to take him king, and Jesus steals away to the other side of the lake, but not to be outdone. The crowd follows him, and there they confront Jesus again, and Jesus goes back at him. He says, listen, the only reason that you came to find me, the only reason that you're here is so that you're, you could get more bread, so that your bellies." could be full. The crowd wants the gifts and the benefits of an Israelite king, but they don't actually want the giver of these gifts. They want full bellies, but they don't want the one who can give them the bread. But Jesus, in his his graciousness, tries to bring them along a little bit. We saw that last week, that that he actually starts to create in them a new desire, a different desire, so that, that they weren't necessarily desiring the gift, but they were more and more desiring the giver. They were desiring um, God himself. And so Jesus says, don't strive for the food that perishes. Strive for the food that endures to eternal life. Strive for me. And then he kind of closes it out, okay? He gets them. They're there. They're ready. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven. And so the whole point of this interchange, the whole point of what he's doing with the crowd is to point to himself, to to, to get them off the focus on this this earthly bread so that they would focus on Jesus, who is the heavenly bread. Now the crowd, they were ready. They were taking these steps with Jesus They were allowing their desires to be redirected. Certainly the high point for them was was verse 34 where they said, Sir, give us this bread always. They They want it. Jesus has got them. But they can't take the last step. They can't take the last step. They say, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the next thing we know, they're grumbling they're grumbling about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Why, why is he saying that he has come down from heaven? They say, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it turns out that the crowd is full of picky eaters. 
The crowd is full of picky eaters. They don't want the bread that is being offered to them. I don't know if you know any picky eaters. I, um, my mom would tell me that I used to be one. My wife might say that I still am from time to time. Um, but I'm certainly better than I used to be. But to hear my parents tell the story, I would get food on my plate when I was a young boy. I would touch the food and then I would make a decision if I liked the way it tasted based on how it felt. I was a picky eater, and so if the food did not look good, then I would not eat it. And so last night we had this most amazing tomato pie, but when I was even 12 or 15 years old, there was no way you would get me to eat a tomato pie, and now you can't get me to stop. But I had, to, I had to take a step of faith, because if it didn't look good, I wasn't interested in eating it. And I think we see that with this crowd. They're murmuring, they're grumbling, because they're a bunch of picky eaters. They can't fathom the unsearchable riches of Christ, because they think they already know who he is. And they look at him and they say, this is, this is Joseph's boy. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. He's not even from a respectable place like Capernaum. He's from, he's from Nazareth. And he says he's come from heaven. Who is this Jesus? The crowd is convinced that they know God. They're convinced that they know what this bread Jesus is trying to give them is actually going to taste like. And they want nothing to do with it. And I wonder how... Many of us are there this morning at that, that same place. Maybe your desires actually have been redirected by Jesus. Maybe you are wanting something more than this world can provide, something more than a, a full belly or a satisfied bank account. Maybe there's something more that you're desiring. But you're not sure about Jesus being the bread of life. You're not sure that you can take this next step, and so maybe you're standing on the precipice and you're gazing into the grace of God, but you're not sure what it's going to taste like. That's where the crowd was with Jesus, and they were grumbling about it. It was fascinating to see how Jesus responds to this. He he actually doesn't go in and correct him and say, hey, stop grumbling. This is really good bread. You should try it. He, he He doesn't do that. He's, he, he actually is basically saying, I'm not surprised that you're grumbling. I'm not surprised at the way you're reacting. And so if we read um, verses 43 to 45, this is how Jesus responds. They're grumbling. Jesus responds to them. Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So the crowd's grumbling. Jesus says, don't grumble. Why are you grumbling among yourselves? And then he says, "Um, everyone who comes to me is drawn by the Father. Another way to say that is, I'm not surprised you're grumbling. I'm not surprised you're not um, coming to me because you haven't been drawn By the Father. The Father has not brought you here. 
And so to actually come to Jesus, to actually receive the bread of life, requires an act of grace in and of itself. It's not just the receiving Jesus, it's the actual coming to him that has to be powered by God. God draws us to Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, well, wait a second. Wait a second. What about, you know, free will? Don't I have the choice, right? I can draw myself to God or I can draw myself away from God and Jesus saves me, but, but I have the, the freedom, right, to decide. I don't think it is exactly like that. I don't think that's exactly how free will works. In fact, Luther, um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, shied away from free will. He actually wanted to say that our wills are bound. We have a bound will, and our wills are bound to one thing, and that one thing without God that we are bound to is sin. And so if we are to talk about free will, we have to talk about the only freedom we have is what type of sin we're going to choose. There's a vast array of sins. You're free to choose any one. But the only way we can choose God is by an act of God's grace. That he would draw us to the Father. And so to choose God and to know Jesus Christ, we must first and foremost be drawn to him by the grace of God. And what happens when we're drawn by the grace of God? Well, we read on and we see Jesus, um, a great uh, theologian in his own right, reading from Scripture. And he says, it is written, verse 45 there, it says, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And so, God draws people to Jesus, and anyone who comes to Jesus has been taught by the Father. Jesus is re uh, referencing Isaiah 54, 13. And in Isaiah, this is immediately after the death of the suffering servant. You know that great chapter in Isaiah 53 where um, the suffering servant takes on the penalty, the punishment for the transgressions of the people. By his stripes we are healed is what it says in Isaiah 53. And then in Isaiah 54, it immediately goes to the glorification of this servant. He took on the penalty and now he is being exalted by God. And in addition to the servant being exalted by God, the children of the servant will be taught by God himself. The followers of the servant will be inspired by God himself. Not a rabbi, not a great teacher, not a great preacher, but God himself will instruct the followers of the servant. Now, y'all are smart people, and you realize this is foreshadowing the church and the people of God and the followers of Jesus Christ, that, that if God is going to draw us to Jesus, he's going to teach us himself. But this isn't a head teaching, a head knowledge. This isn't a verbal teaching. This is God teaching us and teaching our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father will come to me. Everyone who has had the Holy Spirit quicken their heart, who has had the Holy Spirit awaken a love of God in their lives, everyone who has had that working in their heart will be drawn to Jesus, will be drawn to the bread of life. 
And so Jesus is speaking to this grumbling crowd. He wants to be absolutely clear. You do not know me. You're a bunch of picky eaters because you have not been drawn to me by the Father because the Holy Spirit of God has not worked on your hearts. But then he goes on, and so the first part, he's focusing on this drawing and this grace of God that draws us to Jesus. And then, then the second part is he, he talks about himself, and he's talking about what happens, you know, when you come to know Jesus, what, what, what are you seeing, what are you getting? And so we read on to verses 46 to 48. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is sent from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And so he's talking to this crowd. And they're grumbling because they look at Jesus and they say, we know God and we know it's not him. We know God in his glory. We know the God that we've read about in the Old Testament who, who descends in a cloud of flame and thunder. We know the God who, who you can't even gaze upon him lest you die. And, and we see you, Jesus. We're gazing on you. There's no thunder. There's no cloud. We're gazing on you and we're perfectly alive. You cannot be God. We know God. Jesus says the only one who has seen the Father... Is the one who is sent by the Father. The only one who truly knows God is the one who is sent by God. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I know God. I am from heaven. I was sent by God. And when you look at me, you are seeing God in his glory. When we look on the flesh of Jesus, we are seeing the fullness of God and His glory. If you knew me, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I tasted like, you wouldn't be such picky eaters. If you knew the fullness of God, if you knew God in His fullest glory, then you would see that I am Him. This is really important to consider. There's nothing absolutely nothing about God that is hidden from us. There's no hidden God. Everything about God we see in His fullness in Jesus Christ. And so if we are to know God, then we must know, first and foremost, Jesus intimately and recognize that there's nothing behind Him. That there's no, no God that's different other than Him. And so the Jesus we see is the fullness of God and his glory. We're going to unpack that a little bit in just a second. And so Jesus is, is talking to this grumbling crowd of picky eaters. He has two things to say to them. You don't know me because God hasn't drawn you to me. And secondly, if you knew me, you would know God and his fullness. Okay? I was drawn one day to eat a tomato pie. And I knew tomato pie in his fullness. It's amazing. There's all sorts of things. There's oysters. There's brie cheese. It's in incredible. If you're a picky eater, you're really missing out. <laughs> so it is with Jesus. If we knew him, if we knew what he tasted like, we would surely not hesitate. And so we get on to verse 50. 
And he repeats himself. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die, so that one may know the fullness of God and live eternally. Verse 51. I am the living bread. I am the one that came down from heaven. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If we want to know God, if we want to know the fullness of life in God, the fullness of eternal life in God, we must know his son Jesus, the bread of life. What does it say in our psalm this morning? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not like think and see, or not like feel emotionally and see. It says taste, taste and see that the Lord is God. We're not called to simply know God in our heads, but to know him in our hearts. Even more so than that, it's not like God just lives in this, this part of us. God's, he's saying eat, taste and see, eat the bread of life. Take a bite out of it so that it becomes part of and parcel of who you are. That Jesus fills every cell, every square inch of your body. That's what it means to eat of the bread of life. And the way that we are able to do that is through the cross. Frankly, this bread that Jesus is offering is not actually that attractive. It's kind of bloody and gory. It looks like death. But it's there on the cross that we see the fullness of God, the love of God, the glory of God. And so if we want to taste and see that the Lord is good, if we want to eat the bread of life, we have to realize that it's going to look like a dying man on a cross. And that that's the fullness of God. We can't get behind that. You know, we want to we get around the cross to get to God's glory, right? But, but we can't. We have to eat the bread that's hanging on the cross to know the fullness of the glory of God that sent him. And that's a hard thing to do. And so this crowd, as you read on in John chapter 6, is getting smaller and smaller. What started in the beginning of the chapter is 5,000 men. At the end, it has 12. One of them's the devil. It's a hard thing to eat the bread of life. So I ask you this morning, are you a picky eater? You're being invited to eat the bread of life. What is holding you back? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you just said God has to draw me, and maybe, maybe not, God's not drawing me. And I want to tell you, this is one of the most comforting things we can think of about God, because eating the bread of life is not dependent on your fickle will or your fickle mind or your fickle emotion. Eating the bread of life is dependent solely on the grace of God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, I, I want this, but how do I know that God is drawing me? I'm telling you, God is drawing you if you're asking that question. If you want to know if you're being drawn to Christ, and if you're saying, I want to be drawn, but how do I know? I'm telling you, you're being drawn. 
God has never said no to his children who have come to him. And if you think you're being drawn, you are being drawn to Christ. And you're being invited to eat the bread of life. Some of you have tasted this bread. You've seen that it is good. That doesn't mean that it's not bitter. Sometimes the bread of life can be a bit bitter. He says, I think it's in Revelation, he says, eat the scroll. And, and John eats the scroll and he said, it's sweet like honey on the tongue, but it is bitter when it goes down. Following Jesus and eating the bread of life means walking with him to the cross. And it's challenging. And it might mean you're called to do something you don't want to do. It might mean that you're called to sacrifice yourself for someone else. It probably doesn't mean that God is calling you to have your best life now. It doesn't mean that God is calling you to have faith so he can reward you with earthly blessing. These are false teachers who are saying these things. God is calling you to the cross, and it might be painful, and it might be hard. But in it, in this bread of life, this bloody, beat-up bread of life, is the fullness of God, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his grace and forgiveness So it doesn't mean that your life will always be happy or will always be rewarding in an earthly sense to eat this bread of life. But it means your life will be full. Your life will be sold out for the glory of God. And one day you will know that eternal kingdom where there is no more suffering or weeping or tears. I know I say that all the time, but but there's a kingdom coming, friends. When we know the suffering of Jesus, there's a kingdom coming when that suffering will be no more. The way of the cross is nothing compared to the glory that will be received on that last day when Jesus returns. And so you're invited this morning to eat this bread, this bread of life, and to find in it the fullness and the glory and the riches of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're drawing us to you. I pray, Lord, that you would erase any seed of doubt that may be present in this room, that someone is being drawn to you. Give them the assurance, Lord, that if they're even asking about this, that they are being drawn. Give us, Lord, the boldness and confidence to eat the bread of life. And Lord, even when it's bitter, even when it's tough, even when it leads to death, that you give us the hope, the abundance of your life to come. The life that only comes through the cross. It is through that cross that we see the resurrection. And we ask this in the name of the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. Amen.